Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our sermon text uh, this morning comes from Jonah 2. I know I spent a lot of time in Jonah 1, but we'll be covering a whole chapter uh, this morning. In Jonah chapter 2. Uh, but before we turn uh, there, let us go to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 18 through 25. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Give your full attention to it. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's turn now to Jonah Uh, Chapter 2. I'll begin reading uh, in chapter 1, verse 17, just to give a little bit more context. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out uh, out upon the dry land. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So let's start with this thought. The whole world is in the deep. We live in a world in deep conflict and deep distress. We know it. The world knows it. Uh, Singers sing about it. Everyone feels the deep distress of life. And everyone has coping mechanisms to deal with them. There are those who try to ignore it. Uh, That's why we have so many over-entertained kids and overworked parents. Some drink themselves numb, some turn to pornography, some turn to unhealthy relationships. But it's not just out there, it's also true in here. We too, we look for deliverance in all the wrong places. And so this morning, Jonah too is a reminder that grace comes in the most unlikely of places. And here's what I want us to to grasp and to hold on to this morning. And it's this simple message. We experience God's grace most deeply in our distress. We experience God's grace most deeply in our distress. And our outline will go like this. Three Ds. uh, Distress, delivery, and devotion. I was talking to my wife about this outline. Uh, I don't know if it's just about us about to be parents, but she says it sounds like having a baby. Distress, delivery, and devotion. And that helps you to remember it. Uh, Go for it. And so the sailors have prayed to the God of Israel. Uh, But for the first time, we catch Jonah praying. I mean, if being in the belly uh, of a fish, the smelly guts of a fish doesn't do it, I don't know what will get you to pray. Uh, Look at verse uh, two. Uh, I mean, uh, look at the first two verses again. Uh, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So finally, Jonah is doing what the captain suggested earlier in chapter 1, verse 6. The captain told Jonah, get up. Call upon or pray to your God. Only after being swallowed up by a fish and being in this fish for three days and three nights is Jonah now praying. But nonetheless, Jonah is praying. I want you to think about that for a second. Um, Because Jonah's been crazy rebellious, just outright defiant. But here he is. He's praying despite everything. I wonder if you've experienced how hard that is to pray when you've been shutting God out. Let me tell you, those are the hardest times to pray. Everything in us is telling us not to pray. I'm too sinful. God will never forgive me. Maybe that's you this morning. You go to church but you don't actually go to God. 
because you feel like you got to get yourself together before you come. But let me tell you, if you wait until you have it all together, guess what? You will never come. So don't wait. Don't wait to go to God. And Jonah doesn't wait. His reluctance is overcome by prayer because he knows that God forgives. He hears you when you pray. It doesn't matter what you've done and where it's taken you. Even if it does take you in the belly of a fish, God hears and he listens. And the belly of the fish here really represents those painful seasons of life. We all go through them. Seasons of suffering, seasons of intense sadness and grief, seasons of overwhelming hardship and distress. Jonah actually calls it Sheol because it's a place of residence for the dead. And this is the distress that he's talking about in verse 2. And you know what? This is, this is Jonah's own doing, isn't it? He got himself into this mess. So it's not hard to picture why Jonah is in there for, in, in the first place. But what about when we're in distress and it's not our fault? Uh, when it's not our own making? Sometimes we're in distress because of someone else's brokenness and sin. Not your own. What then? Well, then we have to learn to trace God's grace in our pain. I mean, that's the story of Job, by the way. And so Jonah realizes that God is behind this. God is the one who's brought Jonah into the belly of the beast. Uh, But notice what Jonah doesn't say. He doesn't say, those stupid sailors did this to me. They're the ones who cast me into the deep waters. It's their fault. Isn't that what we tend to do when we get into a pickle? We tend to blame others. Um, But Jonah doesn't do that here. Instead, he says, For you, O Lord, you cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He acknowledges God's hand behind his distress. I mean, don't misunderstand what Jonah is saying. He's not blaming God as if God was the author of his distress. Jonah is already acknowledging chapter 1 that it's his fault. They're in this storm and he's in this belly because he's running away. Jonah is simply saying that God put him there. That God is sovereign enough to put him there. And that's one of the hardest lessons to learn in this life. So it's one that we have to keep reflecting on because we tend to forget it all the time that God takes us both to the peaks and to the valleys, not just on mountaintops, but also in the deep. I mentioned Job earlier. Uh, Job is someone who truly understood this lesson. Uh, Listen to this passage from Job 2. And here, Job is talking to his wife, Uh, who, by the way, does not get it. Uh, She blamed God for Job's suffering. Uh, Job's wife said this to Job, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. How would you react to your wife if she said that? 
Uh, what would you say? I like the way the complete Jewish Bible uh, translation puts Job's answer here. Uh, Job says this, You're talking like a low-class woman. Are we to receive the good at God's hands but reject the bad? In all this, Eov, or Job, did not say one sinful word. See, that's a man who trusted God in his distress. Have you ever wrestled with that? That God is the one who brings you into distress. He's not the author of it, but he brings you there. Let me tell you, that just might be the best thing that ever happens to you. Whether you're in distress because of your rebellion or someone else's rebellion. Because a lot of times, God brings us uh, to this much rope to get us to see that we need Him far than we imagine. To get us to the end of ourselves and begin to see our need of Him. I think part of it is because so many of us are convinced that God is here to make our lives smooth sailing. He's there to make us comfortable and happy. God would never take me in the belly of the fish. But you know what? God, that's not what God is interested in. He's not a genie in a bottle to grant wishes to us. That's an all different God. No, God wants to do something better in us. He wants to change us. He wants to make us more and more like Jesus. That's what's, that, that is what God is interested in. But that means that He's going to bring us in places that we don't want to go to, tra- to transform us and make us more like Jesus. And so Jonah goes on to say, I am driven away from your sight, verse 4. I'm kicked out from your presence. I mean, that is irony, my friends. If you've been following along uh, in Jonah, that's irony. Because isn't that what Jonah wanted all along? He's been running from God. All along, he's been going down and down, away from the presence of God. Listen again to chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah is really getting what he wanted. And you would think he would be happy, but he's not. Jonah is completely miserable. And now being away from the presence of God is the worst thing to him. Have you ever wanted something so badly, right? And then you have it, only to realize that that's not really what you wanted? Has that ever happened to you before? Because it turns out that it's not really for your good. And sometimes God gives us what we want to get us to see that that's not what we should want because it's not good for us. And you know what? It's always been like that. We human beings, we have that tendency in us to want what we uh, shouldn't. What we want 
what's not good for us. Think of Adam and Eve. What did they want? They wanted to be like God desperately. They thought God was withholding something good from them. So they reached out with their hands and they ate the fruit. What were they left with? They were left with guilt and shame, hiding in their naked bodies with flimsy leaves. And eventually what happened to them? They were banished. They were driven away from God's sight, like Jonah here. But Jonah's eyes are finally opened. Ironically, they're open when he's in the dark. And maybe it's because he was driven out that his eyes were opened. Uh, Look at what he says in the end of verse 4. I am driven away from your eyes, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. See, there's hope. There's hope when you feel like you're in exile. There's hope when you feel banished away from God's presence. I want to pause for a second before we move on to our second point, uh, because I think it's important we consider where Jonah's words come from. Uh, If you look at your sermon outline, you'll see that his prayer comes from uh, the book of Psalms. His words come from the Psalms. Everything he says is either an allusion or a direct quotation from the Psalms. This man knew his Bible. So let's get this straight. Here's a man, we're told, uh, the word of God comes to him. And we're also told that he's been running away from this word. But now, he's praying with this word. Is that interesting? You see, even though Jonah was running away from the word, yet the word remained in him. I think too many of us don't spend enough time in our Bibles. I mean, really spend time in it. Not just gloss over it, but spend time in it. The Puritans refer to it as masticating the word. We need to chew on the Bible more. I don't mean that literally. Don't go home and chew on your Bibles, please. Uh, But they meant... That we need to read it spiritually and carefully. We need to meditate it until it gives us life and we can taste that spiritual flavor and find spiritual nutrients from it. But here's the thing. Spending time in the Word won't stop the distress from coming. I think we all know that. It doesn't matter how much we, we read the Bible. Distress will inevitably come. But you know what it will do? It will prepare you. When distress comes, you have a word to cast your burdens upon. What if we spent more time meditating on God's word? How different would you be when you're in distress? Maybe instead of complaining, you would be more humble. Maybe instead of blaming God, you would be more thankful as you reflect more and more on God's word while you're in distress. Okay, let's move on to our second point, delivery. Uh, The Lord isn't just interested in hearing Jonah's prayer. He wants to pour out His grace 
on Jonah. He wants to deliver him from his distress. Uh, But before God delivers Jonah, God takes him to the brink of death. Uh, You can see just how close Jonah was from dying in the text. Uh, Look at his descriptions in verses 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head and at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. There are two pictures there. Uh, one is drowning. The other is being buried alive. I don't know if you've ever been close to drowning before. Uh, but it's a traumatizing experience. Uh, it happened to me when I was little. You're completely helpless. Water just keeps coming and coming. You can't do anything about it. It just keeps bringing you down. Or maybe you're like Jonah with seaweed wrapped around his head. It's choking him. That's kind of a funny image, actually. Uh, the weed... The weeds there, the seaweeds, are like a turban on Jonah's head. Anyway, at that moment, all you can do is follow uh, what most DJs call you to do all the time. They say, throw your hands in the air, right? And wave them like you just don't care. Uh, Because at that point, you just don't. You don't care what people think. You just want to throw your hands in the air because you, do, you just don't care. You want someone to save you. That's the first picture. The other picture is being buried alive. Uh, Jonah says, the roots of the mountains were closing in on me. The roots were like prison, uh, prison bars dragging him down further and further down like a prisoner. But just uh, when Jonah's life was all but over, against all odds, God delivered Jonah from the pit. But that's just the way God works. That's just the way God likes to do it. He takes you all the way down to the pit to save you. And I think this is really the movement of the Christian life. We constantly hit rock bottom so God can bring us up. But why does God do that? Because being brought low makes us surrender. It makes us cry uncle. Don't ask me uh, what that, where that idiom comes from because I don't know. But I've heard it before and it sounds cool. Being brought low humbles us. And you know that God only lifts up, lifts up the humble, never the proud. That's why James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's also at this point that Jonah remember, remembered the Lord when his life was fainting and ebbing away. He recalls who God is, the Lord of Israel. I really like that imagery, uh, when my life was fainting away, because it's so powerful. And it's what good stories are made of, right? That where the hero is about to die, and then he, he gains his energy and his... And his um, victorious over his enemies. Uh, Let me illustrate what that might feel like in two ways from the Psalms. Uh, One, it feels like being in the desert with no food or water. When all sustenance is taken away, when your body's about to give up. Uh, Psalm 107 says, Some wandered in desert wastes, 
finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Uh, Two, it, it feels like being hunted by your enemies while your loved ones abandon you. Uh, Psalm 12, uh, 142, uh, look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me, no refuge remains to me, no one cares for my soul. It is in this context, right, where Jonah's life just feels like it's about to um, be out of existence, where his life is fading away. It's in that context that Jonah remembers the Lord. Remembering the Lord is a way of life for the Jews because it's also the way forward into the future. For them, uh, they saw themselves walking into the future backwards because what God has done in the past is what's certain. The future seems all uncertain, but the past, that's what's certain to them. And it influences the way they approach the future. Because the past is so secure, their future is secure. Because their God doesn't change. In other words, for the Jews, future hope rests on past grace. If you want to know that God will deliver you in the future, you have to look back to the past delivery. In fact, this whole prayer This whole prayer is is based on past delivery. Because if you read it, Jonah's language is a reflection of the Exodus scene where God delivered Israel from the hands of Egypt. I mean, we don't have time to look at it, uh, but you can read it at home. You'll see the parallels. Uh, Read it again and you'll see that there's correspondence between what Jonah says and the Exodus scene itself. And so how do you respond to that kind of delivery? Where grace delivers the undeserving. Uh, For Jonah, the proper response is complete devotion. And this brings us to our last point, uh, devotion. And to him, to be devoted is to leave behind your idols. Look at verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Because if you've truly understood the deliverance of God, you will leave behind those things that you have treated as gods. We've all had them, and I think most of us are wrestling to put them away still. Things like money, Success, relationships, materialism, status, or maybe even actual wooden images and statues. Whatever it may be, Jonah says, cut them off. Leave them behind. Because if you cling to them, you actually cut off your own hope. The hope rooted in God's hesed, God's covenant, steadfast love. Because here's the thing, God's hesed is based on grace because His covenant love is according to grace. It's according to His work and not yours. But having idols is the opposite, isn't it? 
Because it's based on human accomplishments. If you do this, then your idol will do that for you. If you do this, then you will be saved. Even though they can't really save you, can they? Paul says, idols are but works of our hands, work of our hearts. They can't really save you. But to be devoted is not only turning away from our idols. It's also turning to the Lord with sacrifice and commitment. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is now committed to voicing his gratitude to God. Because for him, verbally giving thanks is an act of sacrifice. He says in the beginning of verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Giving thanks is not some religious platitude. It's a sacrifice. Have you ever thought about that? That our singing, our giving thanks to God is an act of sacrifice. Let me, th- let me tell you what I think that means. When we sing to God our praises and our thanksgiving, what we're doing is putting to death, like a sacrifice, our pride, our selfishness, and our self-righteousness. It's really a way of offering ourselves to God. And even more, the psalmist says that this is even better in God's eyes than actual animal sacrifices. Uh, Psalm 69, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. In the words of my little nephew, wow, super awesome. No pressure, but when we respond to God's word later on, I hope we sing with everything we got because it's an act of sacrifice. We're saying to God, you are worthy. I'm putting aside all of my self-righteousness, all of my doubts, and laying it before you and acknowledging who you are. So the last thing Jonah mentions is paying his vows to God. And this is really about commitment. It's about our willingness to submit to God and His will. Because how can we possibly say we're devoted to God if we're unwilling to commit ourselves to Him? How can we say we're devoted to Him if our actions are like the world? if we are more devoted to doing what the world do or does than the way of God. Do you know what's cool? Uh, I think Jonah is really revisiting what happened to the sailors. Uh, Do you remember what happened to the sailors? They were committed to their idols, right? They were praying to their gods, but nothing happened. But then they prayed to the the Lord of Israel and the storm stopped 
So they left their idols and they turned to the God of Israel. And at the end of the chapter, we catch them offering a sacrifice and making vows. Same thing, what Jonah is talking about. Leave your idols behind, make sacrifices and vows. So in a way, the sailors have already shown the way to Jonah. That's irony. The one who's supposed to show them the way is shown the way. All this devotion shouldn't scare us, though. Uh, Jonah is not saying your devotion earns you anything before God. Because look what he says right afterwards. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's it right there. That's where it all starts. You can never be devoted to God unless you know that. That salvation belongs to the Lord. When you understand that God is first devoted to you, then you can be devoted to Him. It took the whole chapter, but finally Jonah is saved from the belly of the fish. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah out, of, out upon the dry land. I mean, who would have thought that vomit would be such a beautiful word? I mean, someone remind me, <laughs> remind me that when my baby comes, uh, that vomit can be a sign of a good thing. Only God can do that, right? That vomit can be such a good news. Anyway, uh, God speaks to the fish, and poof, Jonah is vomited to his salvation. He's back on dry land, the place of safety. The word, the word of the Lord that Jonah is running from, or was running from, is now the source of his salvation. And friends, uh, Jesus Christ is the, self, is the salvific speech of God. He's the Word made flesh, John says. Through Him, God speaks the Word of salvation to you to save you from the depth of your sin and death. But your salvation came at a costly price because it came through Jesus' own grief and His own death. Jesus will save you. That's what His name means. I read it earlier in our Gospel reading. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's the salvific word come to you in Jesus Christ. Uh, let me close with this reflection. Let's face it. Uh, this whole thing smells fishy to us when we're in distress, when we're in the deep. How can I experience grace when my anxiety is choking me to death, when, my, uh, when I feel like loneliness and depression are getting the best of me, when I'm abandoned and cheated on by the people I love, when cancer is eating away at my body, how can there be grace from that? If that's you this morning, if you ever wonder if there's grace in your distress, look to the cross of Jesus. Because at the cross... You see the greatest proof that out of a hellish place, 
out of the place of Sheol, grace can come to you. And so now look up. Look up at this table. This table is a reminder that there's still grace in your distress. With simple bread and simple wine, God reminds you that He's with you in your distress and that He is able to save you from your deepest troubles. Amen? Let's pray. O Lord, we thank you for your word of salvation that has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In him we have all that we need. And so help us to cling to that word made flesh in our distress, anxiety, and suffering. Remind us all the week long that Jesus saves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.